we welcome you this morning uh, to Bible class as we continue our study of Ephesians, and we also welcome all those listening to KFUO. And today we are ready for Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. So, first verse, on account of this, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Now, there's a lot here. Uh, you would think, on account of this, that refers back to what we've studied previously, on account of this, on account of the gospel. That's what we went through in chapter 2, on account of the gospel, I, Paul, and it doesn't say a prisoner, it says the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Now, you would think he would say the prisoner of Caesar because he is in jail in the Roman Empire, the prisoner of Caesar. He does not. He says, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. Because this whole chapter is going to center around the fact of the mission that God gave the Apostle Paul. The mission that he gave him uh, when he first came to him on the road to Damascus, but then after that, when Ananias came to see him, that his mission was going to be to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And so what he's saying here is, I'm not in prison because of Jesus, uh, because of Caesar. I'm in prison because I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it says, for who? For you Gentiles. Because that was his mission. That was what he was supposed to do. So he's saying, I'm a prisoner because I am to proclaim Jesus Christ. And if I'm in prison right now, it's because Jesus Christ wants me there. Okay? I'm here to do his bidding. Now, what we begin to see, there are a lot of parallel passages between Ephesians and Colossians. And one of, this, one of the passages, it makes a lot of sense to go with this, that he's imprisoned. Now, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, that is, the church. That's Colossians 1.24. We can see him saying that as he is in prison. He is suffering for Christ. And this suffering is necessary by the one who is given the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. It's just part of, and he considers being in prison part of it. So that's why he said he's a prisoner of Christ Jesus and not a prisoner of Caesar. Okay? If you heard the stewardship of God's grace which he gave to me for you. Now, the word stewardship, that's the way many translate it. Some, it could be administration. Uh, it could be management. Uh, the word can imply all those things. If you heard. In other words, he believes it's fairly well known that this mission was given him, the grace of God is what he was given to be 
the steward of the gospel to the Gentiles, to practice the stewardship. Now, we know what stewardship is, okay? Being a good steward of the resources God gives us. He's saying, God gave me the grace that I am the steward of getting the gospel to the Gentiles, okay? That's what he's saying. That he wa that's what he wants to say. Okay, and then he says that according to Revelation, he uh, revealed to me or he made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. Now, here we have the word mystery. He's going to refer to it. He referred to it in Colossians. He refers to it here, uh, the mystery. And then he's going to tell us what that mystery is. He wrote about it in brief. And having read this, actually, it, well, we'll talk about it. Having read this, you are able to understand my understanding in the mystery of Christ. Now, what it really says is, if you've read it, well, they didn't have copies to read. There was one copy of this letter. It was read to them. He had heard about it. They had heard it, but it was read to them. They had not personally read it. To understand my understanding or to understand my insight. In other words, I have special insight in this, in the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as now it has, uh, it is revealed, it has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. All right. In past generations, it wasn't revealed. Now, it was in the Scriptures. It was in the Scriptures. But they did not have the understanding of it and understand the implications of it until Jesus Christ came. Until Jesus Christ came. That's why he calls it a mystery. That's why he calls it uh, a mystery, over and over again. He, uh, so it was not revealed in the past, but now it's been revealed to the holy, his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. All right, what is the mystery? That the Gentiles are fellow heirs and of the same body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery. You can go back, and there are references in the prophets you can find that talk about God's message going to the Gentiles. But as I say, they didn't fully understand it until Christ came. So what we're seeing here is he gives the Gentiles three titles. Number one, they are fellow heirs. Heir is automatically a baptism language. It's implying that Christian baptism is for both Jews and Gentiles. And when a, a Jew or a Gentile is baptized, they receive faith, they are, receive the forgiveness of sins, 
They receive eternal life. They are co-heirs, fellow heirs with Jews. That's the first thing, fellow heirs. X, they're of the same body. Now remember what we discussed, that Jesus Christ made the two one. We talked about that last week. One body, not two. There's one body of Christ, and they are both a part of that body. So they're fellow heirs, and they're part of the body of Christ, and then they are fellow partakers. In other words, they are partakers, it says, of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The promise, Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins, that's the proclamation of the gospel, and the Gentiles are partakers in that. So, partakers of the same body, fellow heirs. In other words, there is now no distinction within the body of Christ about whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. You're there by the grace of God. You're there by the grace of God. And that's the mystery. That's the mystery that he is revealing. Okay? Of which he made uh, a servant, he made me a servant according to the gift of the grace of God, which he gave to me according to the working of his power. All right. So he's been made a servant. Now notice here, he does not claim to be an apostle here. He's, he's mentioned as an apostle elsewhere, but not here. And what we see here is he's calling himself a servant. He's going to say more than that. He's going to say more than that. Let's, let's read the first of... Uh, uh, First part of verse 8. For I am the least of all the saints. This grace given to me. Okay? He calls himself the least of all the saints. So he's not ranking himself as an apostle. Here. He's calling himself a servant. And now he's saying... I'm one of the least of all servants. The emphasis here is that Paul certainly considers himself a saint. But Paul also remembers and at times cite the fact, I persecuted the church. I was a persecutor of the church. I'm not holy here. Okay? Not holy here. When he's saying, I'm the least of the saints, he may be referring to the fact that unlike some saints, he actually persecuted the church. Right? least of the saints. All right, so the grace given, this grace given, uh, to me, the least of all the saints, um, to preach to the Gentiles, he was to preach, the, uh, the word is, it could be incomprehensible, unfathomable, those kinds of words, the unfathomable riches of Christ, okay? It was his job to preach the incomprehensible gifts of Christ. In other words, that the grace of God is so magnificent, 
it's beyond our comprehension what Christ would do for us as sinful people. Incomprehensible. Goes way beyond anything uh, any human being could dream up. The riches of Christ. And he goes on. And to enlighten all through the stewardship of the mystery uh, that was concealed from the ages, in other words, ages past, in God, who is the creator of all. All right, so he's saying, okay, I have this mission to be the steward of the mystery and to enlighten all about this so that everybody understands this mystery. This mystery which was hidden in God. Okay? Now, and then he ties it into creation to all that, uh, because God is the creator of all. Now, what he's doing here is he's linking creation and redemption as works of God. They are to be thought of as the works of God from before the foundation of the world. From before the foundation of the world, God not only planned to create the world, but how he was going to save the world. And that's why this reference back to creation, to the God who created all things. Okay. In order that, you may know, or, or in order that it might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenlies through the church, the multifaceted wisdom of God. Well, that's a little messy. All right, so what do we got here? It's now going to be known to the rulers and authorities. The two words used here are referring us to the spiritual realm. In other words, they're referring us, what it's saying is, it's now going to be made known to the demons. It's now going to be known to all the evil hosts, to all those who war against God and his plan. Notice it says they're in the heavenlies. Okay? In the heavenlies. What's going to be made known? The multifaceted. And the word here is, is it's, it's diverse. It's, the two words are much diverse. Okay? So it's multifaceted, the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God was that he created the world. The wisdom of God was how he saved the world. The plan of God is now made known to all those who oppose God. And it says, according to the purpose of, it's actually according to the eternal purpose which he brought about in Christ Jesus, our Lord. All right. What is the purpose of Christ? The purpose of Christ was to come into the world and save the world. That was his purpose. I have come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That was his purpose. That is the wisdom of God. 
Christ is called the wisdom of God. He's called the wisdom of God. And when he fulfills this purpose, the evil hosts and all that oppose God are doomed. So what he's saying to them is, the victory is done. It's over. Now, there may be a squirmish here and there, and we're being tempted constantly, but ultimately the evil hosts know our goose is cooked. And this is how it's going to end. And there's not one thing we can do about it. Now, how is this proclaimed by the church? Very simple. If the evil hosts were winning, there wouldn't be a church. The church is a public proclamation that God is still working in this world. That he is still saving people that he is going to get them to eternal life. The existence of the church proclaims that. In the face of all those that hate the church, the fact that we are still in existence, tough beans. You're not going to win this. God's people and God's work and God's salvation are going to win. It's already won. It was won the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And as I say, there may be these little things around and temptations here and there and trouble from time to time, but the victory's won. It's not in doubt. That's what's going to happen. And that's what Paul is proclaiming, and that's what he says the church proclaims by its very existence. In which, no, through which we have uh, a bold confidence, bold access in confidence through faith in him. In other words, we're back to that word access. We, it was used in Romans. It's been used already in, in Ephesians. It means you have access to God. It means that Jesus Christ has given you access to God in the heavenly places. You can come to God anytime you want. He's there for you. He's there for you. And we can go boldly and in confidence because our faith is in Christ. And it is only in Christ that we have this bold access to God. It's ours. Nothing can take that away from us. And then he says, therefore, I ask you not to it's, it's grow weary in the in my persecutions for you, for this is your glory. So he's basically saying, don't get discouraged because I'm in prison. Don't get discouraged because I'm in prison. That's part of the tribulation. Then he makes the statement, me being in prison is your glory. Your glory. That is, you are the glory of the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And me being in prison represents that proclamation, but that's your glory. You are showing your glory to the world by your very faith and existence in the midst of the world. Okay? Yeah, bud? 
Well, well, the question is this. Satan used all the people to ultimately crucify Jesus Christ. And here's the question. Did Satan know that Jesus Christ was going to rise from the dead? We don't think so. We think it was a surprise. Okay? A big surprise. He's back! Okay? We think Satan got surprised. There's no place in the Bible where it tells us that Satan knew Jesus Christ would rise from the dead. God knew. But did Satan know? Now, if you've ever seen The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe uh, by, by C.S. Lewis, when the lion comes back, Satan is surprised. Where did he come from? So, you know, it, it, it's really fun if it was. <laughs> I hope he got surprised. Yeah. Also, the church is... That's right. It, it, what the church proclaims every time there's a baptism, every time someone's confirmed, every time someone comes to faith, it's in your face to say, God is working. God is fulfilling His purpose. Well, yeah. Yeah, and and we need to we need to be real clear about Satan. From the time we're little, we have this impression that when Satan rebelled against God, he was thrown out of heaven, and he came down and tempted Adam and Eve and he's been thrown out of heaven from the beginning. That is not true. That is not true. Satan had access to the throne room of God. Look in the book of Job. He had to ask permission to tempt Job. And he did so before God. When is Satan thrown out of heaven once and for all? When Jesus Christ ascends into heaven. And it's in Revelation chapter 12. Satan is thrown out of heaven once and for all through the victory of Christ and then that chapter closes by saying, and woe to the earth, because now he's down here. He's been thrown out of heaven. It's the victory of Jesus Christ that threw Satan out of heaven. Yes. No, it's, it's the spiritual realm. It's in heaven, in the heavenlies. No, they're in the spiritual realm. In the heavenlies doesn't necessarily mean the, the dwelling place of God. It's the entire spiritual realm. Yes. Uh, are the rulers and the authorities in heaven? In other words, with God. No. Uh, the heavenlies can mean anything above earth. But it doesn't necessarily mean the place where God dwells. Okay? So, um, 
So Satan has now been cast out of heaven for good, okay? And he's not coming back in. All right. Verse 14. On account of this, I bow my knees to the Father. From whom all, every family in heaven and on earth is named. All right, he bows his knee to the Father. What he's saying here is this. The Father, the Heavenly Father, is the Heavenly Father of all Christians, heaven and earth. Every family is named Christian and is one heavenly father. One heavenly father. The one family now are all the children of God. And he is the father of all the children of God. They are named. Okay. They are named. All right. In order to give to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened in power through his spirit in the inner man. All right. So in other words, he's going to give you the riches of his glory. What is the glory that we're talking about? All the gifts that Christ won for us. He's going to give us all those. And strengthen us so that we're able, through his spirit, we have strength, his power, in the inner man. Now, anytime you see inner man... We're back to baptism. Because we're talking about the new person created in baptism. The old person is drowned and dies, and the new person comes forth in righteousness and holiness. When there is faith in Christ, and he gives you the glories, the promises, the blessings, it strengthens you in the heart. Okay? It strengthens you in the heart. It strengthens your faith. And notice that, that here uh, it refers to um, his spirit. Okay? Through the spirit, this is worked. And we know the Spirit works through His Word and the sacraments to strengthen you, to make you stronger in this new person that is in you through your baptism. And that is not a static process. That's not a static. That's a process. He's constantly working in you. It's not a one-time deal, okay? Spirit is constantly working in us to try to mold us and shape us to be more like Christ, okay? More like Christ. All right. Um... Uh, that Christ and to that that uh, Christ might uh, dwell might dwell uh, through faith in your hearts. Okay, you see, faith is more than knowledge. 
There are lots of people that know things about Jesus Christ, but they don't believe in him. So the emphasis here is not on just knowledge, making it known. It is on faith. And where does faith reside? In the heart. In the heart. And... Okay, in love, being rooted and founded like a foundation. In love, being rooted and founded. Okay, so faith in the heart and then in love. Now, we see here, uh, let me see if I can... There is almost the exact words in um, Colossians where it says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. And they're the same words. Uh, Ephesians and Colossians are so, so linked together. Uh, so they're rooted in other words, uh, there's nothing you have to be rooted in Christ. And the word used here goes all the way back to Jesus' parable of the sower. And those roots that didn't take because it was on the wrong soil, this is the opposite. They take. They grow. And Christ is the foundation, and He is, we are rooted in Him. That we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. In other words, uh, it sounds like he's saying north, south, east, and west, the all-encompassing blessings of Christ. The all, all the knowledge, all the glory, all the promises, all of it, that we may be able to comprehend just how magnificent it is and then he goes on, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Surpasses knowledge. In other words, if you take a rational human being and you sit them down and you say, explain how sinful the world is, is any rational human being going to come up with a plan that puts a guy on a cross, atones for the sins of the world, and loves them all in spite of their sin? That's the surpassing knowledge. And we don't fully comprehend that. We, we don't fully comprehend just how magnificent this is. that we were in this kind of predicament and God decided to get it out of it, get us out of it, not us. God decided out of it, out to do it out of nothing but pure love because we were totally unlovable. And that's just about beyond human comprehension because we have problems treating other people that way Okay? Unconditional love for everyone. We struggle with that. We have our list of people we don't like. Okay? We struggle with that. But 
as Pastor Wade said this morning, um, it is beyond comprehension, uh, and the purpose of God is to accept everybody, because He loves everybody. Not just some, not just the ones we like, everybody. So, Paul wants us to know of the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, what does that mean? God knows what He wants you to be. He wants you to be perfect. He wants you to know all the blessings He has for you. In other words, He wants His fullness to become a reality for you. To become a reality for you. And that's what He's working. To bring you to the fullness of what He wants you to be. Now to Him, who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. In other words, you can't even dream up the things that He wants to do for you. Think about that. Think about that. According to the power at work, does it say the power at work by God? No, it says the power at work within us. God's great power is working in each and every one of us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, Paul has been through this chapter to explain how the Gentiles are now a part of the kingdom of God. And that he's working his purpose in this world, in the church, and in each one of us by his Spirit. And that's why Paul closes the chapter talking about all that God is doing with a doxology. That's what it is, a doxology at the end. Okay. Questions, comments? Yes, Ruth. That is correct. Uh, reason does not do it because uh, Ruth said... Um, if you're presenting the gospel or telling somebody about the gospel, you can't appeal to their reason because this is not reasonable. You can't look at a person and say, you really stink, but God loves you. Well, that's not reasonable to a person that does not believe. That's not reasonable. Because what is the first thing they say? Well, I'm not as bad as some. And immediately the defense mechanism kicks in. That old line, you know, the hymn, chief of sinners though I be, but there's some more that are worse than me. That's not in there, but that's the way we feel. So, no, we can't. The Word of God, when you talk to someone about the Gospel, you are simply an instrument laying that word before them. It is the Holy Spirit that has to work the faith in the heart. We can't do it. And we certainly can't do it exalting reason. Can't argue by reason, because it's not reasonable. Not reasonable. Other things. Nothing? You're usually livelier than this. Yes. 
That is exactly right. When the temple curtain was torn in two, when Jesus Christ died, it was saying that all who believe in him have direct access to the throne of God. No more Ark of the Covenant. No more, if you touch it, you die. No more restrictions. No more restrictions. Direct access to God. Directly. Anytime. Anytime. By all who believe in Jesus Christ. Yes. Well, um, his question is, we, we, we say, you know, the church is winning, and, uh, uh, but there are churches that die out, and, you know, uh, are, are we seeing the remnant here? The remnant is traceable throughout all biblical history. And I'm sure that when Christ comes again, uh, you could refer to all those that are saved as the remnant from the world. Okay? And, uh, but there, there are certainly churches that, that die. Certainly churches that go away. Uh, some of it doesn't have anything to do with not having faith. Uh, it's logistical problems and money problems and all that kind of stuff. But when, when you see things like here at St. Paul's, that in the past year, we baptized all these kids that came into our school. We've had 29 adult confirmations. Take that, Satan, right in the face. The church is winning. Not the church, the gospel of Jesus Christ is winning. It's winning hearts. And Satan can't stop that. Okay? Because the gospel is going to take root and grow as long as it's proclaimed. People are going to come to Christ. Yep. All right. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.